Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 1 to 8. I remember in 1995, I had the privilege with about a hundred of uh, my colleagues to go to India, and I think it was probably one of the most privileged trips that I had undertaken. And uh, we first went to Singapore, and we ministered into some churches there. Then we flew to India, and we were there for 10 days. And then after that, we flew to Taiwan, and we were a part of some church work there. But going to India as a South African person, I thought I knew what many cultures were like because of the nature of South Africa. But when I got to India, it was a massive cultural shock. I remember it's about probably close on 100 of us climbed into three or four massive buses. And from New Delhi, we traveled to the province of Andhra Pradesh. And we went to a place called New Missouri, which was in the mountains. And I remember I was never more afraid. Normally, I'm quite afraid of my own driving. But we sat in the buses, and it was an experience to behold. And so we traveled, and we traveled eventually up to the mountains, these passes with big major buses, you know, um, limited space on the roads. It, it, literally, there was space for maybe one and a half cars on those roads as we went up to the mountain. But as we drove up, I saw people with hunchbacks, and they were carrying rocks on their backs in kind of like a string um, sack. And as they were walking up, we saw oh, maybe every 50 or 60 meters another person and another person and another person. And most of them were old people. And I was just looking at this and I was wondering, my goodness, what are they doing with those rocks on their backs? And they were just walking up to the village of northern Missouri. And as we got to the top, our guide explained to us that these people are called rock people. And they undertake every week to walk up that pathway to carry those rocks all the way up to the top where the village was. That was their occupation for life. They start at a young age, and that is what they do. You know, and I always remember the picture of those people, and I thought, what dedication, what commitment, what resilience they would have, and what persistence to do it week after week after week, year after year after year. And eventually, their backs were so crooked, it would never be straight again. But that was their lot in life. And that is how they lived their lives. And oftentimes, I think that in some ways, at certain times, the Christian walk could be likened to those rock people. 
Those rocks to me represents oftentimes the burdens that we have. And there are times when we go through a trial, a difficulty, and we think, oh, if I can just get through this, then life will be easy. Have you ever thought about that? As young people, you say, man, I just can't find that right girl or that right man. I wish I could get married. And then you get married. And then you say, you know, I can't wait until I have children. And then you have children. And of course, you don't sleep at night. Can't wait until they grow up. They grow up. And then you wish they would still be in the home. You know, there are things within our lives that causes life never to be ideal. Jesus said, for us to enter the kingdom of God, we must go through many trials and tribulations. And so we know that that is part of the story of walking with God. Christo preached excellently last week on that. And so I thought we would look at what helps us in this Christian walk to push through and not to give up as we journey with Christ. And um, the story that I want us to look at is that of a widow. And she reminds me of the rock people of northern Missouri who labored hard most of their lives, and yet they never gave up. Don't you see these rock people? They never gave up. And so let's look at Luke chapter 18. And let's read from verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. Now a parable is an, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable to show them that they should always pray, pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him? Night and day. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see to it that they get justice and quickly. Whoever, when the Son of Man comes, however when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Prayer is that act that God has entrusted to us to partner him in changing things. Would you agree with that? I oftentimes wonder that if God is sovereign, why does he ask us to pray? Have you ever thought about that? Have you wondered, well, you know, God is going to do whatever he wants to do. Why shouldn't we pray? 
And yet in the Bible, from the beginning to end, we are not asked to pray, we are commanded to pray. And we see here in this story that God uses this parable to speak to his people, his chosen ones, you and I. And he says to us that we should always pray and not give up. Prayer is one of the hardest things for you and I to do on a consistent basis. And somehow, at times, I don't wonder why it is so hard for us to get into prayer. But when we get into prayer, it is also in one step, it is an act of faith. In the other step, you find delight eventually as you pray. And I oftentimes say to people that the reason why this church exists is not because of good and faithful men and women alone. It is because we have people in this church who pray and who does not give up. And my friends, I think one of the marks of a Christian is that we pray and that we pray again and we pray again. And when life gets hard, even though we feel like giving up, we don't give up and we push through those things that seeks to hold us down. Let's look at the story and why did Jesus bring this widow before us like he did? Luke mentions widows more than all the other gospel writers combined. And we know that Luke was a doctor, so obviously I wonder whether he didn't have family who had widows in it or whether God just moved his heart towards widows. And of course, the Bible speaks very clearly, particularly in the New Testament, that as a church, we have a responsibility to take care of the widows. It's our responsibility. Firstly, it rests on the children. The book of Timothy and Titus teaches us. And secondly, it rests upon the church to take care of widows. That's why as a church, so much of the finance that we release we give into widows and also orphans. Love on a hanger, the finance that goes towards, um, that comes from love on a hanger goes into vulnerable children. So as a church, we believe that we have a divine responsibility to take care of widows and to take care of orphans as well and to preach the gospel and to start churches so that this can have a living reality. So we see here that Luke speaks about widows here. As you study this parable, you've got to see it in an Eastern context, because then it makes a little bit more sense. The courtroom was not a fine building, but a tent that was moved from place to place as the judge covered the circuit and the journeys that he was involved in. The judge, not the law, set the agenda, and he sat regularly in the tent surrounded by his assistants. Anybody could watch the proceedings from the outside, but only those who were approved and accepted could have their cases tried. This usually meant bribing one of the assistants so that he would call the judge's attention to the case. The widow had three obstacles that confronted them. First, being a woman, 
In the eastern setting, she had little or no standing before the law. Secondly, in the Palestinian society, women did not go to court. Since she was a widow, she had no husband to stand with her in court. Finally, this widow was poor and could not pay a bribe even if she wanted to. My friends, this is a wonderful picture of the gospel. Every single person who has not yet accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives, within our sins we are um, like this widow without any representation. We're poor. The judge would judge us. However, we see the difference here is that the Lord judges us because of our sins. But this is where it reminds me of the gospel. Jesus steps in. As we take on the character of the widow, he steps in and he says, I will be your representative in court. He steps through that door and he says, even though you are poor, even though you don't have a husband, even though you have no representative, I will be it. And he steps in front of the judge and he says to the judge, I paid the highest price. For that widow, for mankind, for you and I. And as a result of me paying that price, he or she will receive justice. My friends, this is the beautiful picture of the gospel. I think Jesus used this woman as an example as he was pointing his finger at you and I. I don't know what circumstances you find yourself in. If you are not a follower of Jesus, my friends, Jesus is stepping towards you today. And Jesus is saying to you, I will represent you. Isn't that wonderful? That's good news. And so that's for you who haven't yet decided to follow Jesus. I trust that today that you would open your heart to your representative, which is Jesus Christ. And never again would you have to be afraid of being alone and not to be represented. Because he, the Bible says, ever lives to pray for us, to make intercession for us. This is the incredible God that we have. But then to the believer, you and I, when we find ourselves in a situation that is outside of our control, we feel very, very much like this widow, don't we? We try to represent ourselves, but we know it is not, it is actually in vain. We stand and we do all of the things that we do, but there's no breakthrough. And Jesus tells the story of this widow. And he says, this widow comes before the judge and even though she was not allowed to be there, she didn't let that stop her. She rushed into that context of people. And the Bible says, persistently, she asked to be seen by the judge and for her case to be heard. Persistently, never giving up. Don't you love that? Do you know of some people like that? They just will not give up. And my friends, as Christians, 
That's the type of attitude that we need to have, is an attitude of never giving up. And so we see here that Jesus presents her before you and I. We look in a mirror and we see her in us. Prayer is our greatest friend. Because there is something very special that happens in prayer. And, and, and I would like you to get excited about prayer today. Prayer is there for you and I to bring, and this is what Jesus said, to bring heaven to earth. And the medium that we use is prayer. The disciples asked Jesus in the book of Matthew, and he said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, we must pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the most incredible thing that I've started to understand more and more over the years about prayer. God lovingly and sovereignly has decided way before time to partner with you and I to let heaven come down to earth. Amen? He partners with us. That means he says, I can do all of this myself, but because I love mankind, I want to partner with them. And he said the way or one of the ways that we do it is through prayer. And it's so unique that Jesus said to the disciples, pray that heaven would come to earth. Pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can partner with God in this divine journey that he has saved us into. One of the things that we have learned here within this church is that we cannot hold this church together by our cleverness, by our giftings, even by our own commitments. The way that we move forward in God is through prayer together. And that's probably a good place to say amen. Because that's absolutely true, you can ask us. The great blessing for Jenny and I, when we came to this church almost 10 years ago, is that maybe because of our desperation, I don't think we've prayed more ever before than what we have prayed over the last 10 years into the life of this church and further abroad. Because we realize that this is God's church. It was his idea when it started. And in no ways do we want to take it from him and for us to run the church. <laughs> That's a scary thing. It is his church. It was his idea. We want to build this church with him. And one of the ways, my friends, that we do it is through the incredible privilege of prayer, of praying. You see, prayer only works when we exercise that privilege in private first. 
then we can exercise it in public. And isn't that what Jesus taught the disciples as well? And I think prayer rises within a church corporately where we pray firstly privately. And when we look at this widow, undoubtedly, that she knew that for her to get justice, she needed to knock on the door, knock on the door, knock on the door, and never to give up. My friends, some of you as believers are praying into areas, maybe within your own life or into the life of your children, your family, or friends, or maybe even nationally. And you have prayed certain prayers for a very, very, very long time. My friends, I want to encourage you never to give up. And to do what this widow did. What did this widow do? Firstly, she prayed persistently by going to the right source. My friends, this is where prayer gets really exciting. The scripture says here in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 3, Then Jesus taught his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor man. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. She went to the judge to pray. My friends, you and I, Come to God the Father when we pray. Jesus again said, pray, our Father which art in heaven. There is a correct way to pray. Our Father which art in heaven. And we pray in the name of Jesus. We see that when we look at the life of Jesus, that he asked God for a lot of things. And he continued to ask God. My friends, there is nothing wrong. As the widow went to the judge, he asked, she asked the judge to bring justice. It's the right thing to do, to go to God and to ask him for certain things. What does your prayer list look like at the moment? What are you asking God for? Whatever you are asking God for, go to him in the name of Jesus. There's a wonderful scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, which says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as you are yet without sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might find mercy and find grace in our time of need. Do you know what I discovered over the last time as I'm praying? And this is a wonderful truth that will liberate your prayer. I pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. But do you know what it means to pray in the name of Jesus? It's not just releasing authority. But just this past week, this thought occurred to me that I do not only just pray in the name of Jesus. When I start praying, 
I pray with Jesus into that need. How cool is that? You'd say, Peter, you're still such a baby in your faith that you only realized it now. But you know, there was an excitement that grew up within my heart when I started to realize it this week. So when I start praying and um, I'm trusting God uh, for certain things, I do not just say, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. What I'm actually doing is, Father, I'm praying with Jesus into this knee. How cool is that? Because the Bible says that Jesus is seated where? The right hand of the throne of God. And then Jesus said he lives every single moment to make intercession for us. So when we go into that throne room, as Hebrews chapter 4 says, we're saying, Jesus, are you ready to pray? Jesus said, absolutely, I'm ready to pray. A couple of weeks ago, and... um, I oftentimes pray on Saturdays here in the church, and I just walk around the chairs. I walk into all of the rooms, the kids' church, um, the youth hall, to junior, and I just pray for however long it, I feel I need to. And so Saturdays, that is what brings me comfort, that, that I'm asking God for certain things to happen within the church here. And, and I remember I was looking for people to pray with me for that Sunday, but I couldn't find people because everybody was on holiday. They were at birthday parties and all that. But as I step inside this hall, I realized that I'm not by myself praying. Amen? And now I have this picture when I start praying that I walk into the throne room of God with confidence because the Bible says I can do it. And I say, Jesus... Can we pray into this need? And even when my confidence is low, we just got our visas for New Zealand this past Sunday a week ago. We had sent it in over a month and a half ago, and we were getting really, really nervous about tonight flying off to New Zealand. And my Faith levels were very low. But you see, the difference is that when we take Jesus with us, where we pray, it's not so much my faith that makes the difference. You may think it is, but it's not. It is that partnership with Jesus as we pray together. And my friends, I have confidence that much will happen when I do it with Jesus. Amen. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. My friends, I'd encourage you, when you pray again, and you step into the throne room of God, that you say, Jesus, I'm so glad I can pray with you because you're so experienced in praying. (laughs) Would you help me as I pray for my son, who's sick? Would you help me to pray for for my mother, who's dying? Spoke to a friend whose father is very ill at the moment. Well, take Jesus with you when you pray for your father. Take him with you. My friends, Jesus is more real if you had to compare than the person sitting next to you. Amen? It's hard to understand that. I know. I'm in the same place as you. It takes faith to believe it. But the Bible says so. And so we believe it. My friends, go to the right source where you pray. The Bible says Jesus is a high priest. That means, you know, 
he intercedes not only for us, but he intercedes with us. The most wonderful thing when Jesus died upon the cross is, yes, he died for our sins. Absolutely. 100%. And as a result, he died so that we wouldn't feel shame when we've sinned, but that we would repent. And that we wouldn't walk in guilt, but that we would walk free, as the song said a little while earlier. Amen. That's all that happened. But then something else happened, the Bible says. That day when Jesus died upon the cross, light turned to darkness. There was an earthquake. And what else happened? The curtain in the temple was torn in two. They tell me that the breadth of the curtain was as wide as a person's hand. They're tall, symbolizing that every single one of us, young, old, can step into the throne room of God because Jesus opened the way for us to do it confidently. Let's do it with Jesus. When you think about Jen and I in New Zealand with our son Ryan, just say, Jesus, would you pray with me for Piet and Jen, for Ryan? For Ryan's girlfriend, Storm. Pray. Pray. Pray for them. How's that? But let's, because Jesus knows her so well, even though you may not know us that well, partner with Jesus in prayer. My friends, this widow went to the right source. She went to the judge. My friends, this widow prayed persistently, secondly, and she refused to give up. I like to be around people who don't give up because I need their strength. Do you? I do. Jesus never gave up, but he pushed through the difficulties that he faced. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his disciples to go and pray with him. What happened? They fell asleep. He said to them, could you not wait one hour? He went again, prayed, came back, they fell asleep. The third time he looked at them and he said, well, I'm just going to leave them. And he went and prayed. Jesus believed in persistent prayer and not to give up. Paul, with the thorn that he had within his flesh, we don't know what it was, people speculate, but the Bible says he prayed how many times for the thorn to be removed? How many? Three times, Paul believed in prayer until he heard God's voice which said that now, Paul, after you've prayed three times, my grace is sufficient for you. And he rested in that. But he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. My friends, this widow went back. She knocked on that door. Be at the tent. She knocked and she knocked and she knocked until the judge was so worn out he says, man, I've got to answer this woman's request. Have you met people like that? Man, they just they pound on your door. They will not give up, my friends. Be like that in prayer. And don't give up. Max Lucado says, our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be weak. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers.
do make a difference. And then just lastly, prayers, persistent prayers. Prayers lead to pray with confidence. My friends, when we read the word of God, and that's why this is my practice. When I walk around here or when I go for a walk in the beautiful place that we live, the most beautiful place on the earth is a town called Hagendorn. Any of you know about Hagendorn? If you don't know about Hagendorn, you haven't yet seen the most beautiful town on the earth. And I go and pray there often and I walk and sometimes I think the people think I'm a little bit crazy. Because I just love to pray in this beautiful country that God has placed us in. And I don't take my Bible there. I've got my phone because the scriptures are on my phone. When I'm inside here, my friends, I take the word of God. Because in some ways when I have the word of God, I have confidence to pray. I have confidence to pray. If you lack confidence in prayer, just take the word of God with you. And as you walk and pray, you just read a little bit. Why don't you do that? Not this Saturday, but the previous Saturday I was here praying for the service. And as I was praying, I opened up a Bible that I had in my office there that I used in my college days when I went to, to seminary. And I opened it, and I opened up to a part where the scripture, uh, where Paul got Saved, he met Jesus on the road of Damascus, and the Bible said that um, Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And as that word came up, I started praying that scripture into last Sunday's service. So I just took a little while, and I just walked around, and I said, Lord, would you, Jesus, reveal yourself to people in the service last Sunday? That gave me such confidence to pray. My friends, this lady, yes, was moved by her need to get justice. You and I need to be moved by this book and just be obedient in your praying. This is what Charles Stanley says. I went to be with the Lord, I think, at the age of 89 and served God for most of his life. And Charles Stanley said this, Obey God and leave the consequences to him. That was the motto of his life. Obey God and leave the consequences up to him. My friends, let's pray and leave the consequences up to him.